You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the whole journey of their lives, the ups and downs, how they've gotten to where they are today, and even how they get through the day to day. Because I believe that our feelings of success, of worthiness, of being enough, of being fulfilled, of being loved are not out there somewhere. Once I do this, be this, have this, then I will feel enough. That's not how it works. We have to claim it for ourselves every single day. Otherwise, we'll just be chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. On today's episode, I have Jenny Sansuzzi. She is an old, dear friend of mine. I mean, she's not old, but we've been friends for a while. <laughs> not that it matters. And I'm so excited because her first book, The Rebel's Apothecary, is coming out so soon. You can pre-order it now and you want to because it's amazing, but also you're going to get this amazing chapter on immunity, which we all need and especially right now. She is a certified health coach, creator of this amazing wellness blog called Healthy Crush. She's been writing since 2008. You know, we get really into her whole story and it's been fun to remember the whole journey along with her. Um, so yeah, let's get into the episode. So we met way back now. It seems kind of like it was just last year, but also it was, it was very long. The one year I decided I was, I was living in New York City and I, um, I don't even remember. I feel like I must have found you on Twitter and then reached out to you in person, but you were how I first learned about IAN. Uh, nutritional yes. school. And didn't we go to a yoga class? Didn't we meet at a yoga class? Yeah. So that's, oh, that's what it was too. So yeah, I was, I belonged to pure yoga at the time and uh, your good friend also did, what's her name? Jeannie. Je yeah. Jeannie. I wanted yeah. to say Janine yeah. and I was like, that's not right. Yeah. 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 So we ended up meeting yeah. at the, at the, at the yoga class and yeah. So, and I ended up signing up for nutritional school because of you. But so where, what was happening in your life that you found nutrition school? Because I feel like you, I feel like you're younger than me. I don't know how much, but like, you seem like you were, that was pretty early to be into that. Yeah. Or no. Yeah. Um, I, I got into it. Let's see. I went through the nutrition school in 2010. So 10 years ago, which is crazy. I got into it originally because I quit drinking. And when I quit drinking, this is 2007, I realized how my other habits were making me feel, which I had never really noticed before because I was a huge partier. And that was um, the way most of my life was, was, you know, self-medicating through drugs and alcohol. And when I finally quit, I started realizing like, oh, these foods that I'm eating aren't really making me feel good. Oh, my lifestyle isn't making me feel good. So I had to start to tweak things. So I just didn't know I wasn't feeling good because I was always, I was always medicated in some way. So I started getting into nutrition because of that. So I was like, I need to actually learn how to feel good. If yeah. I'm going to be sober and not be using substances to feel good, I need to actually feel good. So I started learning about nutrition in that way. And I started to blog about it. And this was before I, before I got into the nutrition school, I started to, to write blogs about 
the things that I was learning about nutrition and wellness and just things you were learning on your own and like experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. Things I was experimenting with on my own. And at the time I was working for a corporate health website, kind of like a WebMD type of site. And I was learning how websites make money. And I had no idea that a website could make money until I started working at that job. And so meaning like with advertisement, like with ads on the sites that we see like off on the side when we're trying to read a recipe or whatever it is. Right. And that was when there weren't very many blogs at that time. And I did start reading a guy's blog. His name's Steve Pavlina. I started reading his blog and he had a blog post called How I Make Money from My Blog. And he said that he was making at the time like $1,000 a day or something on his blog. And this was, he wrote this post in 2006. And I was like, what? So I read all of his tactics about how he monetized his content. And he was writing about nutrition and wellness too. He had things like how to make brown rice or how he had all these, you know, lifestyle and wellness tips on his blog. So I was like, I could probably figure out a way to do this. And if the website that I was working for could make $20 $20 million a month, you know, writing about health content that was fueled by pharmaceuticals, um, pharmaceutical advertising, I could probably figure out a way to, you know, monetize my blog and figure out how to pay my rent with writing things that I thought were, you know, nutrition and wellness. So, so I just started. So how did you first, okay, well, let's go first. You said you stopped drinking and self-medicating that's at what age that you're pretty young though 24. at 24 I'm 37 now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. was that like, did you feel like you were using drinking and self and whatever else you were doing like to escape from something or did it just start as like, we're teenagers here drink. Like, cause I definitely like when I was a teenager, I would like count how many beers I had that night by putting them in my back, the tabs in my back pocket, and then like wake up the next day (laughs) after being blacked out to see, oh, wow, I drank 12 beers last night. Look at me. I'm so (laughs) cool. I can drink the most and not remember anything that happened. But it wasn't like, I mean, I did. I had a lot of pain. And I think, I think a lot of us as, as teenagers have a lot of mm-hmm. emotional pain as well. But it also, it sort of becomes like, I wasn't like, I need to go drink tonight because I'm in pain. It was like, that's what right. we do. We're teenagers. We party. We're the cool kids. Yeah. Uh, it definitely was that. For me, I was a party girl. I loved partying. I loved being the last person at the bar when it was last call. And I loved watching the sun come up with the bartenders. Wow. <laughs> when I moved to New York City. Um, and what inspired you to move to New York City? Well, I, I went to college in, in DC, well, in Maryland, University of Maryland. And that was like a pretty standard level of partying. You know, everybody was partying. I was in a sorority. We, you know, did all the, all the, uh, <laughs> the drinking activities all the time. And nothing seemed abnormal about it. Cause that was just what everybody did. And then I lived in DC after graduating college and I would visit my friend who lived in New York. And every time I came to New York, it just seemed like there was so much life in that city and everybody could be whoever they wanted. And right. where I was living in DC, you know, I felt that I was running into the same kinds of people all the time. And a lot of people I knew from college. And, you know, and when I went to New York, I was like, wow, there's so many different kinds of people everywhere. And everybody is just, you know, blazing their own trail. And I could just feel the energy there. And I uh, ended up moving there just because I had 
basically a feeling when wow. I was there that made me feel really alive. And the bars were open till like 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so um, when I moved to New York City, I started working at a magazine. It was a restaurant magazine. So we had to be at all the restaurant openings. We had to kind of schmooze with with the owners of restaurants and nightclubs and bars. And so my whole life was... So that like fit into your love of partying. Exactly. So there was a lot of drinking every night, just at these events. There was a lot of cocaine. I started to get to the point where I was so tired from drinking and so hungover that I had to use cocaine or Adderall to just get through the day. So, but it just became this kind of normal thing and other people were doing it as well. So I wasn't like, I actually didn't even think it was that big of a deal, to be honest. Right. Cause everybody around you is doing the same right. thing. Like, and you're right. still like, you're jer- working, you're getting a paycheck, you're existing as a human in the world, yeah. paying your bills. Totally. And all my, I was, I was partying with all of my coworkers, you yeah. know? So it wasn't like, you know, we were all showing up to work like that. Yeah. And so you know, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but it did start to affect my work and it started to affect, you know, I was in sales, advertising sales at this magazine. It started to just, my partying became more important than my job. And my boss knew that. And he was always encouraging me to drink less. And he would say things like, why don't you just stay in on a Friday night and like read a book or maybe write a book. And I would just hysterically laugh. I was like, ha ha, no. Definitely not. And so he he would always encourage me. He could see what was what was going on and he would encourage me to take a look at my lifestyle, but I would just kind of laugh it off. Until one day, it's kind of hard to even know like what the what the change was, but one day I woke up, it was like eleven AM on a Wednesday. And I was supposed to be at work, of course, but I had partied all night the night before. I was super hungover. And I was scared to get in trouble at work because I knew my boss already was kind of, you know, on to my (laughs) habits. And my main thing I was thinking was, how can I not get in trouble for this? How can I figure out a way to get out of being two hours late to work already and super hungover? And he's going to say something. I just wanted to not get in trouble. Like, so it wasn't like, I can't believe I did this. I messed up. This is wrong. I keep being late. No. Why do I do this? You're just no. like, oh, okay, so how can I get out of trouble? What can I, how can I get out how of can trouble? I spin like this? <laughs> exactly. So in my brilliant mind, I thought <laughs> if I tell him, I think I have a drinking problem and a problem with drugs, then I know he'll want to help me and I won't get in trouble. So why don't I just try that? Oh, so that was just like <laughs> tactic to appease your boss, yes. but you weren't like, exactly. I'm not like, I don't, I, whatever, no. I'm fine. I'm going to continue what I'm doing. No, I was very, I was just thinking like, how can I, how can I twist this in some way to not get in trouble? Because I didn't want to get fired and I didn't want to get, you know, you know, I didn't want my boss to be mad at me and all of that. So, so I went into work and I had this brilliant plan. So I was kind of motivated just from the fact that I knew it was probably going to work that, that he would, you know, feel some compassion for me and, and want to want to help rather than get me in trouble. So I went to work and I was like, can we talk? Like I ran into the office, like, you know, Hey, we need to talk. And he's like, okay, let's uh, walk into the office kitchen. And I said, I think I have a problem with drugs and alcohol. And when I said it, I just started crying. And I was like, oh shit. Can I swear on your podcast? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I just felt it 
in my body that I that I was telling the truth. Like as soon as you said it out loud, yeah. you were able uh-huh. to be like, oh, should I actually do this? Isn't just yeah. like something I'm telling him to get help. Right. I just felt like the gravity of the situation. And I felt the fact that I was doing all of this manipulation and trying to pull all these strings just to not get in trouble because I had drank so much. You know, it was just this, it was unmanageable. The situation was unmanageable. So he was like, okay, I can help you. Let's go take a walk. And we went outside and took a walk and he called his friend who he knew had recently gotten sober or two years prior had gotten sober that he used to party with her. And he knew that she had gotten sober and now she was into meditating and all this stuff. And that was Gabby Bernstein. And he put me on the phone with her and she was like, meet me tonight for dinner. And I did. And that was 2007, August, 2007. And from then on, she, she guided me and I, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I just started taking it one day at a time. That, yeah. Yeah. And everything changed. So then that is what got you. And were you able to, from that day and like with that support of your boss and Gabby to quit and stay sober, did you struggle in like, oh no, maybe just wonder, maybe let me go out to this. Or like, were you yeah. able to like, once you finally admitted you had a problem, like I just commit to it? Yeah, I was able to, I struggled a lot along the way, but I was able to commit to it for a few years. Um, the, so the second half of my twenties, I was, you know, in 12 step rooms and it really worked for me at first because I needed the discipline and I needed like the full life change. And also in New York city, I was really surprised to see that there was a whole community of young people that are sober and do other things on a Friday or Saturday night, like just go out to dinner and talk right. and then go home. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I was going to say, you probably needed a community more than anything, especially if like that was your life that you were always out and doing bars. And now you're being like, okay, I'm not going to do that. What the fuck do I do? Yeah. Who am I? Exactly. Like, who are yeah. my friends? <laughs> right. So there was a, a built-in community there and that was really helpful. And my eyes were open to so many different ways of living and open to spirituality and there were just so many things that I didn't even know existed because I thought the only thing there was to do was party and go out. <laughs> like I just never thought about doing anything else. Yeah. So this was a huge, huge shift for me. And I, as that happened, that's when I started to get interested in how I was really feeling and, and the nutrition stuff. But to, before that, to answer your question, I started to question it around after like four or five years of, of, um, of going to these meetings and being completely sober because for me, there was a, I'm not allowed to drink aspect of it that I was struggling with. And it was, I kind of got sober a to, you know, make my boss happy. You know, he had introduced me to Gabby. I thought she was amazing. I was like, I'm just going to do whatever she tells me to do because she's, she's got this awesome life and she doesn't drink and that's cool. And I want that. Um, And so I didn't, after a few years, I was also dating someone that I had met who was also sober and he was really strict about his sobriety in the sense that, um, he hadn't just been like partying. He had, it was much more serious for him. And so it was like a hard no. And there was a lot of people in my life. I had two sponsees that I was working with. Sponsees, like for people that aren't familiar with 12-step lingo, it's, you know, people that you kind of take under your wing and you help them get sober. 
So I was really struggling when I started to question it. I started to question, am I doing this for myself? Do I actually believe I have a problem or was I just a party girl that, you know? Right. Because yeah, you, it sounded like it was, yeah. Like you just got like, yeah, you're a party, you're into lifestyle. This is fun. This is what my friends do. This is what my coworkers do, but it didn't, you weren't sure probably I'm guessing it like, you're not somebody like, oh, maybe I can have like a drink or two and it's okay. Right. Or like, was that yeah. too? Are you seeing people like that too? Like they just have a drink with yeah, them and it's yeah. fine. I'm like, why can't I do that? Like, wait, am I even an addict? Like I just partied a lot. Like I'm not an addict. Was it like that sort of questioning? It was like that. And especially as I got into nutrition school and a lot of my friends became people that just didn't drink because they just didn't feel like drinking or they just were, you know, trying to avoid alcohol for health reasons, or they once in a while have a glass of wine, but it's not that big of a deal. So I wasn't hanging out with people at bars anymore. You know, I had this whole new group of people that were interested in, um, in wellness that they didn't notice if I didn't have a drink when we went out to dinner, they weren't like, why aren't you drinking? You know, it was just like, Oh, cool. Whatever. Which that can be so hard. Yeah. If you're like with the like drinking group, what do you mean? Come on, just have one drink. Come on. Like, what do you mean? Have a drink. Like they're like trying to peer pressure you into it. Cause like, what do you mean? Why not have a drink? But then, (laughs) yeah. And that was what my life was like for the first few years that I was sober before I was going through nutrition school, because I didn't know, I didn't have another group of friends besides my sober friends and then my drinking friends. So it was either like, you know, people asking me all the time why I'm not drinking or kind of urging me to drink or people who are totally abstinent, but I didn't have a crew of people that were kind of moderate. And so once I got into the wellness stuff, I I started to find that and I started to question, well, could I be the kind of girl that like runs a half marathon and then has a beer at the end? Like that sounds kind of awesome. Um, I would like to do that. And so I started to kind of have these feelings of rebelliousness against the strict abstinence part of it in the sense that I kept telling people that I'm not allowed to drink. And for me, I'm very rebellious against rules in general, especially rules that I don't know if I'm fully on board with. Mm -hmm. So I will say, I I think that 12 step programs are awesome and they help so many people. And I would not be where I am today without having gone through that experience. But for me, there was a shift where I started to question it and started to just really want to figure it out for myself. And that's hard to talk about with people who are sober because it's dangerous. And so I really, it was very dangerous in the sense that it might make them question their sobriety. So I have to be really careful with that stuff because I don't ever want to encourage anyone else to question their sobriety, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get it. And, uh, a good friend of mine's husband and he's been a guest, Adi Jaffe. He, um, he created his own sort of, he has a book and a program called the abstinence myth. And so he Mm -hmm. does come to healing addiction and he's a licensed therapist and he was an addict and everything. So, um, and a lot, like, obviously he gets drug, you know, I don't know what the term, but like drug through the whatever all the time because people with the AA methods are like, no, you cannot insinuate to anybody that they don't have to be asking yeah. it. But he comes from it more of like, right. it's a lot, there's a lot more going on and that he wants people to really like be checking in with the why they're drinking and like looking at your life and what you're, you know, mm-hmm. your 
family, mm-hmm. your relationships. Like, so he's actually like taking this like full, it's like a four, you know, path structure or something like that of looking at it. And, but he's telling people you don't have to be abstinent. And so then that actually appeals to a different demographic or certain people that feel very much like afraid to quit or like, I don't know if I have to quit or something like that. Right. And a lot of people do end up quitting or some people are able to become moderate yeah. drinkers. And he is someone who was an addict and now does he can, it can be a moderate drinker, but I get it. And that's what me being someone who does not have yeah. the addict tendencies. I do drink alcohol responsibly and I enjoy it, but I totally get right. the sober movement and the people that are addicts yeah. and like that. But yeah, it's like a touchy thing. Cause I think everybody has got to be so different and everybody's yeah. situations are different, but thank mm. you for sharing. Yeah, thankfully now. that. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully there's a lot of new and different conversations around sobriety happening. You know, um, people t- talking like you were mentioning your friend and people like Ruby Warrington yes. sober curious. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of really cool conversations that for me didn't exist at the time that all I knew was, um, the abstinence program. And I knew, I heard what people inside the 12 step programs would say when someone else went on their own path. And it was always um, we'll save you a seat. Like you're going to be back. And so, which that doesn't feel very, yeah, that feels right. kind of like you're not giving that person hope or compassion or like you right. just ruin the rest of your life. You're going to be back here. Or like you are making the wrong right. choice instead of like holding them with like some love and compassion. Right, And it's hard. And like I said, I understand because their sobriety feels like it's at risk. If I remember when I first got sober and I saw people go out or, you know, drink again, and I would think about it and I would, I could see how it could be, you know, confusing just for people that are newly sober. And so it is, it is a, a tricky, tricky thing. And again, I'm, I'm never, I'm not against the, the 12 step programs in any way. I think they're amazing, but I think there are other ways and that's not a popular opinion for some people. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I decided after a long few years of contemplating and feeling like I was having an identity crisis with all of this to just try drinking again. And I experimented on my own for a a couple of years. This was probably around 2012. And then so it was like, I feel like at one point, I feel like one time you're in California and I invited you to a party and you might have, but you were in maybe and like, yeah, I'm at a phase where I'm trying to see if this yeah. is something I can do or not. Like yeah. you might have like said to yes to like, like one normal. glass of wine or something. And you were like, yeah, I, yeah. I tried to be a normal <laughs> drinker for a little while just to see. Um, and I did come to the conclusion that it's not for me and that it doesn't work for me. But I came to the conclusion on my own in a way that I needed to... I needed to come to that conclusion. And I don't know that I would have felt as strongly as I do now about not having alcohol in my life if I had if I had not experimented. And again, disclaimer, right. I don't right. encourage anyone to experiment. But <laughs> but it's um yeah, I needed to do that for myself. And I needed to get to the point where I was like, oh, okay, actually it's so the thing is sometimes it was okay and sometimes it's not, but for me it's like Russian roulette. It's like, I just never know if it's going to be okay or not okay. And so what's the point in taking that chance if it could be like affecting you? Did it make you like emotionally or physically or both like off? Both. And, and I had spent so many years learning to, um, 
learning to live without alcohol, going to weddings without alcohol, developing the skills to have better social social interactions without alcohol, dating without alcohol. I had gone through all of those things. And I I knew I had that in my arsenal now. So I knew that I could do it. And so I started to like myself better sober. And when I would drink again, sometimes there would be like the first hour that I was like, like oh, warm, this is awesome. You know, that <laughs> Uh huh. Or like a glass of champagne, like one, it's like this, this, yeah, warm, fuzzy, excited feeling. But then for me, it could escalate really quickly without me realizing it was happening. And that's the scary part for me. Like I would, um, you know, sometimes wake up the next day and be like, how did that evening get so out of control? Like I just, it would just sort of take over and it was unexpected. And I could do the whole thing like, oh, let me just plan to have one or two drinks and then um, and then stop, but that just wouldn't always happen, you know? And for me, it could get to the point where, um, it was having a negative effect on my life and my relationships and I could, it just wasn't worth it. I had developed, like I said, all these sober skills and I liked my life better without alcohol. So yeah. I'm bringing you guys a brief interruption because I had to tell you or remind you reshare again about this thing that I love so much. It is my infrared sauna blanket. It's basically like a sleeping bag that's heated, but not just heated. It's special infrared sauna rays. Why do I do this? Why do I love it? It honestly helps me so much. It calms down my nervous system when I'm feeling stressed out. It soothes my body and muscle aches, whether it be from working out, from sitting too much, from when I'm having like a flare up with my fibromyalgia pain, when I've eaten something that feels like my stomach is upset. Seriously, it's like the fix-all cure-all for me. And when I'm like stressed out. So I lay in the blanket. I wear a long sleeve shirt, pants, socks. I turn mine up to about a seven. I lay on it on the floor and um, I watch a show for like 45 minutes to an hour and I drink a ton of water and I sweat it all out. It feels amazing. I honestly feel so much better after I do it. It's anti-anxiety, increases feel-good chemicals, chemicals, lowers your cortisol. It actually even burns up to 600 calories, which when you feel like you're not moving a lot and maybe because your body hurts so much. Hey, I'll take that. It improves sleep, reduces inflammation, increases blood flow and circulation. It soothes sore muscles and joints. I am obsessed. Go get yourself one. They've been selling out so fast lately, I think with everybody staying at home. So you're going to want to pre-order if they're not available right now. Higherdose.com. Go to higherdose.com. There's a link in the show notes. Click on the infrared sauna blanket. And I have a code. Use code JOY75, J-O-Y-75, for $75 off. You can also buy it with their interest-free payment plan, which is what I did, and it makes it just easier to make that investment for yourself. So higherdose.com, go to the infrared sauna blanket, or just use my link in the show notes. Use code JOY75. I bought one over a year ago, and it's honestly one of the best purchases I ever made. Go check it out. All right, let's get back to so you're 
you must have left the restaurant or the company restaurant magazine where you had the boss that helped you at one point. And then was your next job, this like marketing job that gave you the idea for advertising? Yes. Yeah. In fact, someone introduced me to this job because I had taken him to a 12 step meeting because he needed to get sober. And he was like, so he kind of felt like he owed me a favor or something. So he forwarded my resume over to this company. And, um, and I started to work for, for this advertising company where I learned about, um, how, how websites make money and how that business works. And so then at the, then you start applying these tactics to your own blog. Did you start to actually make money off your blog? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started to apply, I started my own blog while I was still working there. And I thought, you know, worst case scenario, I just yeah. have a, blog and like, I don't need to, I don't need to monetize it, but why don't I try to implement a couple of, of different strategies here and just see what happens. And also I was taking on health coaching clients because I was going through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. They taught me all about health coaching. So I was building up my blog, implementing a few different, uh, monetization strategies, like a few ads, um, just cause I was so familiar with advertising. So I was running some, running some ads on the blog and then doing some affiliate marketing. So, you know, writing about a green smoothie and linking to Vitamix and, and making a cut of commission if someone buys a Vitamix, like those little things I was experimenting with that and then taking on health coaching clients. And I got to the point with the blog where I could see how I could turn it into a full-time thing and could continue to make money from it. And I was seeing how I could make money from having health coaching clients. So I was building this kind of behind the scenes thing at this job. And I got to the point with the job where it was really going against what I was beginning to believe with nutrition. And, um, you know, some of my clients were, you know, artificially flavored, colored yogurts and cereals geared towards kids or, you know, weight loss products geared towards women that were just all chemicals. and our whole day was kind of strategizing on where to put these advertisements. So the most women who wanted to get a bikini body would see it and buy it. And I was just starting to be like, ah, this is not really, I I felt like I was contributing to what I was seeing as the problem. And I remember sitting in class at integrative nutrition because it was still live classes at that time. And I believe it was Marion Nessel was giving a talk about, food additives that are being put into kids' foods and some of the health problems that it's causing for kids. And I just started Mm. crying in the middle of class. And I was like, I have to quit this job. And I didn't know if I'd be able to, you know, make the same salary that I had at the job through my blog and health coaching. But at that point, it was just becoming too painful for me to stay. And so I kind of took a leap of faith, already having some of those revenue streams lined up. And um, yeah, so then I just started to do that full time. Did you ever have to end up getting another job or you left that job and then you were just full on with your own practice and your own blog? Yeah, I well, yeah, it's funny that you asked that because I do remember thinking, okay, how am I going to explain this to my parents? What should I say? And I told them, you know, if I ever if if this doesn't work, I was like, I'm going to try this for three months. And if this doesn't work, I will apply for the same exact job that I just had. There's tons of advertising companies around New York. My boss at that company, we had a really good relationship and um, he's actually, he's actually running the show over at IIN now, oh, which crazy. is really funny. <laughs> um, but um, I knew that I could probably get another full-time job if I, if everything, you know, that was kind of my, my 
fail plan or whatever. But no, I never had to use that. I I did get the blog to the point where I was bringing in enough That's to pay amazing. my rent, and then, um, yeah, and then having the health coaching clients. So I, I had a few. I don't remember how many health coaching clients I had, but enough that both of them were were kind of sustaining me. And um, the more time I spent on it, and the more I was writing, and the more I was sharing, and the more affiliate programs. I joined a lot of different affiliate programs. That was that has been my main money maker on the blog the whole time has been affiliate relationships. So, um, were you able, cause you know, I'm guessing a lot of that, you're able to make that much money from the advertising and affiliates because of how many people are coming to your blog. So is that because mm-hmm, you had learned mm-hmm. these like marketing things of like Google keyword, like, were you able to use tactics to drive more people or were you just like generally getting, you know, general interest or both? I will. Yeah. I will be honest in the sense that there just weren't that many blogs back then. So I had really good Google placement. Like a lot of my blog posts were showing up on page one of Google for specific search terms. And um, yeah, it was really before the whole boom happened. There was no Instagram, you know, people were not influencers. It just was not a thing. So, um, and like I said, when I started working at that health website, people didn't have the idea that you could make money online. That wasn't a thing that was happening. So no one really knew about it. So I was just putting all these tactics in place that I had read from this one guy's website. And um, there just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of other online content out there. So I think that was a big part of it is that I built up my email list and my my, um, blog viewership at a time when there wasn't a lot of others to subscribe to. <laughs> so now there's a lot. So it's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember back then, like when you start becoming a health health coach and writing these blogs, like, did you have any like doubts and fears? on like, who am I to write this information or to be coaching these people? Cause I like, totally. you know, I remember, yeah, I more got, did the health coaching. Cause I, I felt like I needed credibility that people were starting to know me in the world as this is Trisha. She's so-and-so's nutritionalist and I'm not, but they're just giving me this name because I make this person's food and do this or whatever. And so that it, for me ended up being more for like myself to feel better. And then I was like, Oh wait, I do know. I like, obviously like had learned a lot self-taught, but I loved IIN and I loved all they shared. And I loved also how well they set you up to be able to coach people. Cause even though I feel like I'm great with people and I've always been like the person people come to, to like talk that it was like, no, wait, so what is call one? What do we do? But yeah, like can definitely bring up these like fears and doubts of like not being enough. And who am I to say this or share this or to be coaching them? hundred percent. And that's actually one of the reasons I enrolled at IIN because I was already writing about all this wellness stuff that I was learning about, but I was finding it all on my own. And I was like, Hey guys, have you seen coconut water before? It's better than Gatorade. But like, I just, you know, was saying all these things and I was like, Hmm, um, I, you know, it would be probably better is if I had some type of formal education and um, credentials in saying all of this. And I would, you know, I, I do my research, so I was never, you know, saying things that yeah, I thought you weren't were just like making stuff up. Not well right? <laughs> No, but I was like, you know, I'm looking up all this stuff anyway. What I found was the, the teacher list at IIN at the time was all the same people that I was, mm-hmm. I was already reading their books. I was already reading their websites. I was following their information. And I thought, why not get 
get an education in this where I'm certified as a health coach and I've actually gone through a curriculum and learned from these people because I'm already doing it anyway. And then, you know, at the end of it, I will, like you said, kind of just feel like more worthy, I guess, of sharing this information. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I definitely had those doubts and fears and, and, and going through that program helped me a lot with, with feeling more confident in that. So, um, so then what happened next? So then you're, you're making, I don't know, good money, but you're making enough money to survive in New York, which is good money for, for most people to just be able to like pay your rent (laughs) and live there. And, um, Mm -hmm. I feel like too, did you, you end I feel like you stopped health coaching at some point and right. Yeah. And what was that? Yeah. Well, I did the whole time that I was building up the blog, I always wanted writing to be my full-time thing. I didn't necessarily even want to be health coaching, but, um, after going through the program, as you know, they kind of, you can, they teach you everything you need to know about starting a business health coaching. And I was like, why not? You know, I'm getting messages and questions from people on Facebook and in my email and stuff. Um, why not take on a few clients while I build up the blog? But the plan was always to build up the blog to the point where I could let go of some of the one-on-one coaching because I, I love one-on-one interactions with people. But for me, the part that I didn't like was all yeah. the scheduling, all the coordination, the prep work, the follow-up, the um, feeling like I was giving all of this information that was helpful, but it was only reaching one person. Not that that doesn't make a big difference in people's lives. It absolutely does. But because I love writing, I was like, when I write a blog post, I can reach thousands of people. And when I'm on a one-on-one call, that's not only the one hour call, but all the rest of the stuff that goes along with it. Um, my impact is, is less probably than it could be if I, if I was putting this into writing and reaching more people. So that was kind of always the plan. So I started to, as I started to make more money on the blog, which I will say one of the biggest ways was to find affiliate partners that were higher level. You know, when I started to see checks come in from sales that were like $500 rather than like $25, that's when I was like, oh, I could be strategic about this and turn this into something where I can have some level of predictability of how much money I could make. And then continue to set up different revenue streams along the way until I have all these little pathways around that are, that are giving me, um, the income that I would need to, to fuel my life. And is this still like just mostly from that one guy's blog? Cause again, I feel like I've been, you know, my blog, I think I started 2009 or something as just like a blog and then turning it into like an actual website with like coaching and stuff like that a few years after but I still like, I've never done advertising. <laughs> I don't do know how to do yeah. Google keywords. Um, and I ha- I am an affiliate to some people's program, but I never like fully invested it. And so I still think like, I think that especially affiliate income is more well known these days, but it's still like, I feel like you're the only person I know who mm-hmm. was like, really like went after that and like has made that like made yeah. full incomes from mostly that, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's changed. Like I said, at first when there weren't a lot of people doing this and there weren't like every right. single person on Instagram has a 15% off code for something. Exactly. Yeah. These days, yeah. Everybody's on Instagram and everybody <laughs> has a code for things and especially like, yeah, like, yeah. So I'm, there's probably a lot more competition. It is different, which I think right now, I don't know that I would 
recommend, I mean, I wouldn't not recommend, but I wouldn't necessarily be like, start a blog and, and have affiliate income be the only thing you're doing. At the time, it worked really well. Now, I really think it's smart to have an ecosystem, you know, a bunch of different things that are, that are working together um, and different, different ways of making money and different revenue streams. And I think that is probably the smartest way to go in these times. But at the time when I started, it was, it was less saturated. So when you start, stopped doing the health coaching, um, and was that a challenging call to make? Or were you able to get your like blog income to a point that you were like then pulled out? And then didn't you work for, was it Frank Lipman for him for a while too? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened with the, the kind of transitioning out of the health coaching clients was that a lot of my clients were on six month programs and I, I, I planned to just not renew those six month programs, but I transitioned those people to other health coaches that I knew and trusted. So I let them know, you know, well in advance, like I'm going to be shifting out of doing one-on-one sessions. And I have like these people that I think would be amazing for you. And I would kind of set them up on, on a new path. So I, I just plan to transition all of those people and then to, to keep the blog. And what happened at that time was I was living with an ex-boyfriend and we broke up and I had that home that we had lived in together was where I had started my blog, where I had, my blog started as um, a lot of recipes and I had this really, I guess, kind of stable lifestyle then when I was, I was going to the farmer's market, I was cooking a lot, I was writing a lot and I had built this whole thing from the comfort of this home that I had created with this boyfriend. And when we broke up, I couldn't stay in the apartment and we, it was sort of this, like my whole life was, um, turned over. I couldn't do the same things I was doing anymore. I couldn't be spending my days cooking and writing and photographing my food and doing all the things that I had set up because I just, I needed to figure out where I was going to live. And I was going through this tremendous heartbreak that I was not prepared for. And I had to shift. I had to shift what I was doing. So I came out to LA. That's probably when we started hanging out in LA, like um, in 2012 or so. My sister was living in LA at the time. And she, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just went through this breakup. I don't even know if I want to stay in New York City anymore, but I have this blog and I've been doing all this stuff and I don't know what to do. And she was like, well, one of my roommates just moved out. So I have an open room in my apartment in LA. Why don't you just come for like a month or two and see how it goes? So I just picked up and and left. That's perfect. Perfect timing, right? I know. It was actually amazing timing. I was like, thank you. And so I started to blog about different things like personal development and yoga. And I started to go to yoga festivals and Really, I was just trying to get through this this breakup and um, going to all these yoga conferences and festivals because yoga was the one thing that was actually keeping me okay throughout this time. And didn't you wait? That's reminded me. Didn't you like? Did you pitch yourself to the yoga festivals to be a like press? Yeah, which is huge. Yeah, like that's yeah. so smart too to be like, yeah. oh, I want to go to this yoga festival. I'm going to pitch to them exactly. that I'm going to write about right? Is that what you did? Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like transient at that time, you know, didn't have the most stable home environment. Wasn't sure what I was going to go next, but I knew that I wanted to be around these, these yoga classes and these yoga teachers. And, 
Um, I knew that I felt really good and aligned and connected when I was in that environment. So I started to pitch, I would email these, um, you know, different yoga festivals, Wanderlust, Yoga Journal, all these places. And I would say, hey, um, I would love to come to your come to your conference or festival. And in exchange, I'll write a blog post. I'll write like three to five blog posts. And then I'll send out X amount of newsletters. And again, Instagram didn't exist. So I couldn't be like, I'll do an Instagram story right. and tag you. It wasn't like that. It was just sort of, um, I will... I will write about the yoga teachers. I'll write about the classes. I'll kind of do whatever you guys would want me to write about in exchange for a free pass to this conference. And they would usually do it and, and give me you know, lodging and stuff too. Which yeah. Is cool. Yeah. So I was, I was in every yoga class with like a little notepad next to my yoga mat, writing down quotes. So like a yoga teacher would say something and I'd be in down dog, like writing the quote down. <laughs> I love that though. Cause then, especially if you're going through your own healing journey, <laughs> then you're like, I'm using this creative thing. They exactly. like get to go to free, but then also you're like, oh, I need to yeah. write about this. But so that's also making you pay more yeah. attention to like these wise things they're saying, right? Like, it's not like, oh, that's a good quote. I have to remember that quote for this blog, but then you're also really taking it in. <laughs> yes. It was really a very healing time. And I was being, um, you know, as resourceful as I could to find ways to heal myself and also share and, and, um, yeah, so I made it work. And how long did you, yeah, I feel like you've been transient several times. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. (laughs) So, so to answer your question about the working for Dr. Lippman, that phase came right after this whole like uh, yoga festival phase <laughs> where I was kind of just so you went back to New York yeah so basically um I had said to a few friends in New York listen I'm not going to come back to New York unless I have a reason to be there a specific reason to be there because I was like I have my blog and I see the the benefits of um of you know creating this thing for myself but New York living in New York is hard in a lot of ways and I after being away for long enough, I realized, you know, I don't know that I want to be like hustling to make my blog pay for everything. Like I'd like to have something else if I'm going to move back to the most expensive city in the US, you know, I'd like to have something else to kind of go along with it. And at that time, um, my friend who was working for Dr. Frank Lipman, who's a functional medicine doctor in the city that I was very familiar with, she was going on maternity leave and she reached out to me and she said, Hey, I know you have a fairly flexible lifestyle. <laughs> Would you want to fill in for me for three months and at Dr. Frank Lippman's office? And you'd be working with his patients, health coaching them and helping out with his supplement line. And, and I was like, definitely, that sounds awesome. So I decided to move back to New York and take on this three-month thing. And I was like, even if it only lasts three months, at least I'll kind of get my feet back into New York City and I have a reason to be there. And, um, it ended up being about four years that I stayed. Oh, really? Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause after she, she came back after maternity leave, but at that time, uh, Dr. Lippman and I were like this, we like just loved each other. And he was like, I want you to stay on board. So, um, I just ended up staying on board for longer. Yeah. Cause yeah, he's not like you were doing health coaching there, but people I mean, I guess as a health coach, you are, people can be using you because they're having health issues, but I make up working for him. You're seeing things even differently because that's people are coming to a functional doctor because like, right, they are having like problems yes. that they cannot have figured out. They probably have seen every doc, other medical doctor right. and stuff. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what I really learned from working at his office was a lot more about supplements and, um, he does, you know, acupuncture there and there's different body work and, um, and he, 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 I learned a lot about different supplements and I hadn't had that kind of formal supplement education before. So he not only had a specific dietary plan that he would put people on for different reasons, but different supplements that he would add in for different reasons. So that was a really cool training to have. And it was also great to see people would come in and then the next time they came in, they would feel different. And I would see people that, you know, used to be vegan and then introduced bone broth and like healed their digestive issues or, you know, cut out certain things and, and started to feel better or stopped eating sugar. And they were able to, you know, regulate their moods and their sleep. And I, it was really, really interesting to be able to sit with different patients every single day and, um, and see their progress. And was that then like, are you consulting with him? I guess with the advice that, you know, like then you're knowing about which like, oh, you're vegan, but I'm going to need to tell you to do bone broth or that was like, was that a combination of your knowledge and like his, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah. It was always sort of a, um, a team effort in that way. And we would never encourage people to stop being vegan or to do, you know, make big changes they weren't comfortable with, but we would tell them like, Hey, you know, if you're having all of these gut problems and you're eating mostly beans or something, maybe try this substitution and, and, and that kind of thing. So what would happen is, uh, Dr. Lippman, when a patient would come in, he would sit in with them with one other health coach. At the time that I worked there, there was probably five health coaches and we all worked on different days. So we would go and we would sit in with him, listen to their entire um, conversation and he would come up with a plan. And sometimes we would chime in like with, you know, things that maybe we knew about from different patients or, or our own training. And then after getting the plan from Dr. Lippman, they would come sit one-on-one with the health coach and we would tell them, okay, he told you to go gluten-free. Here's what that means. Here's what gluten is. Cause he, he didn't have the time. Got it. So he would like give the like ultimate, like diagnosis or whatever details. And then you're really like delivering the information so that they can apply it and what that means and what that looks like. Yeah. And then I would send them, you know, recipes and I would send them different brands that I liked. And, you know, so he would, he would, um, very cool. So that sounds, yeah. yeah, Like you're, sounds like you're like getting extra like schooling, like direct schooling, but plus you get to like really support people through these like really challenging times. Yeah. (laughs) Plus we had to, we had to, or we got to research all day. So in between patients, I would be so curious about what people were going through. If we couldn't figure out something, I would just spend all this time researching things and coming up with new ideas. And we would all kind of consult each other and be like, well, look at what this person's saying, or there's this book that just came out and this person is suggesting this, should we start to implement this with patients? And we would really be kind of on the cutting edge of everything new that was going on just so we could you know, guide people along the right path. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of learning. And then when you left his office, mm-hmm. was that your choice of like wanting to be free mm-hmm. from a like schedule again? Yeah. Wanting to travel. Yeah. Yes. I left then. Um, that was, that was kind of a hard decision, but I was in a relationship at that time where we were traveling the world a lot and he was my boyfriend at the time was running marathons on every continent. And so I wanted to go with him. And 
um, Dr. Lipman, like he was really cool about my travel schedule for a little while, but then it started to become like longer and longer and longer where I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to be gone for a month. And so I was like, maybe we should, um, press pause on this while I, you know, go, go do some traveling. And so I kept my, I kept my blog up during that time so I could fuel, fuel a lifestyle of travel. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. And so then what, um, what comes next for you? Is this, is the next thing with your father getting diagnosed with cancer or was there more things that happened between like? Um, yeah, well, let's see. Yes. Um, lots of things happened, but as far as like big life shifts, yeah, the next thing that happened was, um, I had actually moved to San Diego and, um, that was, that came at a time where, um, cause that's where your boyfriend at the time was. Yes. Yes. I know all <laughs> of my big life changes come from like boyfriends, breakups, you know? Um, yeah, we were, we had, he was in San Diego and I was in New York and we had decided to, to live in San Diego. Um, we were kind of deciding between New York and San Diego and it just seemed like the, I guess the choice that would be more, um, need to have more space and be more relaxing and, we wanted to try a new thing and I moved down to San Diego. We were still in the process of trying to look for a place there. And that's when I found out that my dad oh, had okay. cancer. Yeah. So, so you were ready for this huge life transition of moving to San Diego, moving in with your boyfriend at the time. Yeah. yeah. And we were, we were having trouble finding a place anyway. And something about it just wasn't feeling right to me. And we had been pushing, pushing, pushing to make that situation work. And there was something about it that just wasn't working. So we had gone home for Thanksgiving to our respective families, just to kind of take a breather from trying to figure out the living situation and all that. And then, um, that's when over Thanksgiving, 2017 is when I found out my dad had cancer. So at that point there was no chance I was going to stay in San Diego. I knew I was going to come home and, and help so him. then what's that journey yeah. end up looking like? For your father and you, because yeah, well, you were there for mostly all of it, like what most of it. Yeah. Um, well, so my parents live um, in Boston or north of Boston in Massachusetts, and when he first got diagnosed, it was, and he has stage four pancreatic cancer. Okay. So it's not one of the cancers that is typically easy to treat. And it's definitely not one of the cancers that's typically considered curable. So that's, I'm guessing what also motivated that. Well, I mean, I'm guessing you're in that sort of weird time figuring out and like something's not feeling right with your boyfriend, but uh, I make up a lot of people whose parents are getting diagnosed with cancer will be a huge painful thing, but that they might not change their entire life and move home to help their parents. Right. But it was like the seriousness of what his diagnosis was. Yeah, exactly. It was the seriousness of the diagnosis and that I really still was in a place that I could make that change. We hadn't found an apartment yet. We we were kind of going from Airbnb to Airbnb and trying to figure out, we were looking at a lot of apartments, but nothing had stuck yet. And I was like, you know what? This feels like not the right time for me to put roots down on the other side of the country when my dad is going to be going through this. And... I was like, we can, you know, put that idea on hold, but I need to, you know, I need to go figure out what I can do to support him um, through at least getting him onto an initial plan. I mean, here's the thing. When you find out that someone you love has that kind of serious diagnosis, 
Um, there's so many emotions that you go through. It's so terrifying. You don't know if you have one month, you don't know if you have less, you don't know, you know, it was, it was Thanksgiving and my sister and I were like, we don't know if we're going to, if he's going to be around on Christmas, you know, it was that kind of dire fear. And so I was immediately like all hands on deck. Like, what can I do to support him and try to help this process be easier? Because I knew nothing about cancer, but I knew a lot about nutrition and wellness. And I had a lot of contacts in the wellness field that might be able to give me some information that could help him. So I knew he was going to go down the traditional path of chemotherapy and there's no way I was going to dissuade him from doing that. You know, I'm not in the position to even know enough to do that. So he was going to do that. And I thought, okay, let me get, um, get everyone together that I know that could possibly give me some tips on, on how to support him and then put him on a plan. So, you know, as the universe will have it, uh, things, things worked out really miraculously for me to be here. I texted all my girlfriends from high school and I said, does anyone know of a good Airbnb in the area? Cause if I was going to move home, I was like, not going to just like live with my parents. I was like, I need to have some, some sense of my own life. So is there any, um, place in the area that you guys know of that would be good for me to rent out for like three months just to get my dad started. And one of my friends from high school wrote me back and she was like, my parents are going to be in Florida for the entire winter from December to April. And you're welcome to stay at their condo. And it's like just, you know, 15 minutes down the road from my parents' house. So I was like, great, <laughs> amazing. So, um, so yeah, I moved here and, and um, got him on a plan. And that's how we, we got down the path um, that he's still on today and it's two and a half years later and he's really still, he's doing amazing. So. And what did that plan look like? Yeah. So the first thing that we came across for him was to get him a medical marijuana card. And that happened really synchronistically in the sense that he had watched a documentary about medical marijuana at the same time as one of my friends had recommended that I look into CBD for cancer and, um, so I was looking up all this stuff about CBD. I was in New York at the time, um, staying there, just visiting some people and I got him some CBD and to bring back from New York. Cause I was, I had, I knew nothing about, you know, cannabis or what the laws were or anything. I just, um, wanted to give this a try. And so he had watched this documentary. I had brought him some CBD and then we were like, that's funny that we're both, you know, you know, having these different touch points about cannabis. And we started doing some research and started looking into some, some stories and some things that other people were experiencing with it. And we learned about an oil that's called Rick Simpson oil. And at some dispensaries, it's called full spectrum. Oh, no, no. Full extract cannabis oil, F-E-C-O. Sometimes it's called Rick Simpson oil, R-S-O. But it's anyway, it's a, it's a very potent medical cannabis oil that can have around like 50 milligrams of THC and CBD in one drop, in a tiny drop the size of a grain of rice. It's very, very, very potent. And just for people who aren't familiar with um, dosages for cannabis, five to 10 milligrams of THC is usually like the recreational dose that like gets people high. So 50 milligrams is a huge amount. Wow. So the huge amount of THC. Traditionally, the Rick Simpson oil is very high THC, but now there's, there's different ratios of THC and CBD. And we decided to put him on a one-to-one -one ratio of CBD to THC and get him on this plan of taking this oil two or three times a day. 
And we had just seen, not only on documentaries, we had seen people who had cancer have very good results. And I should say, um, I'm not claiming that it cures cancer, but they have really good results with managing their side effects of the chemotherapy. So that's what I was wondering, like, was it to be taking to like manage pain of like Mm. the cancer or... Like, do you even have pain with cancer? You know, it, it like, yeah. yeah. Is it more like the chemotherapy? Is it managing the, like what the chemotherapy and what they're doing? Or is it actually like doing something to the cells that heals the cancer or something? Well, that's a great question. There is, there's not enough clinical evidence for me to say anything Mm -hmm. about it actually curing cancer or killing the cancer cells, but there is evidence that cannabis can kill cancer cells. There's I'm not going to go too much into that, but <laughs> yes, there's, there's definitely stories and some evidence that cannabis kills cancer cells, but mainly the side effects. It's very well known that it helps with the side effects. So when I say side effects, I mean nausea and lack of appetite. Those are two huge side effects of chemotherapy that a lot of people experience. It makes people lose way too much weight and people aren't able to sleep. And there's, um, you know, there's a lot of different, some, some cancers can cause pain just depending what, what kind of cancer it is and where the tumor is located. So the cannabis, um, can, can help with all of those things. So it's giving them a greater quality of life. Exactly. Yeah. So that they can, yeah. Like they're going through this, maybe even, you know, mm-hmm. they go through the chemotherapy and, and like that. Yeah. They're able to eat. They're able to enjoy more of their life because they're not feeling sick yeah. or they can't eat. Yeah. They can't sleep. That even though they're going through this, they can enjoy more of their life. Exactly. So it was really about having him have a higher quality of life. And of course, we're hoping that anything we do nutritionally or with supplements could help with the cancer as well. You know, you always hope that that could be something that happens. Um, It's really hard to know when you're on chemotherapy and also doing dietary stuff at home and supplements. It's obviously hard to know what's working and what's causing. Yeah, Cause I'm guessing you could be like, is chemotherapy just going to kill every good thing you're putting right. in your body? Like, is this yeah. even, is there a point to even doing the good stuff? If you're doing putting this like poison in your yeah. body, that's also supposed to heal you. Like, I know it's, it's a weird thing, but yes, what we found out that everything that we've been doing supplementally, so the cannabis is part of it and he, and the other part is medicinal mushrooms, which are those I gave to him to start to um, support his immune system, because that's one of the things that happens during chemotherapy is it breaks down your immune system over time. And a lot of people end up not being able to tolerate enough chemotherapy to manage the cancer or to get rid of the cancer because their immune system cannot handle that much of the chemo drugs. So I had read that medicinal mushrooms can help to support the immune system to keep you strong enough to be able to to withstand the chemotherapy. And so that has been the case for him. He's on a ton of different medicinal mushrooms every day and has been this whole time. And he hasn't felt like immunocompromised at all. Like he's felt vibrant. I mean, even now he's like dancing around the house. I'm like, why are you in such a good mood? Like he's, he's felt great. He's been you know, golfing and traveling before this quarantine happened and living a pretty normal life with stage four pancreatic cancer for two and a half years. And that is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people that that is the case for with this type of cancer. So I'm not claiming that it's because of what we're doing, but um, we've kept on doing it because he's doing so well. And actually right now he's off of chemo and has been for two months. 
um, because he's been doing so well that they thought, you know, why don't we give your body a little bit of a break from the chemo drugs and see how it goes. And his um, tumor markers, his blood markers keep going down even without the chemo. So wow, it's really cool. Yeah. Trisha again, I got one more thing that I got to interrupt to tell you about. I'm so, so proud to be partnered with BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. They've created an amazing online platform that allows you to assess your needs. You fill out this questionnaire on their form, and then they match you with a licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with this therapist in under 24 hours. We all need support. We all need a space that we feel safe to truly open up and to talk out what we're feeling that we likely like just push down or we keep going on with life. So to give yourself this space to talk to someone who's only there to hear you, to support you, to ask you the questions, to see these things and to help you help yourself. I've been using it myself because, of course, I will never share anything unless I've tried it. I love it. You can easily even change counselors if for some reason you don't feel like you're, you know, you're liking yours. You can talk to them on the phone. You can have a video call and you also can chat with them in a secure messaging space, which I especially love because you can, you know, chat with your counselor between sessions. So if they ask you to think about something then you can like, you know, type in when it comes up between sessions and things and stay in communication so that these things that we talk about are actually being like kept more present and not like, okay, I hope I remember to talk about this next week or let me write it in a notepad that I can't find because that never happens to me. Really? Anybody? Anybody? Um, <laughs> anyway, so go check out um, and use, if you use my link, you'll get 10% off your first month and it's already cheaper than traditional therapy and they also offer financial aid. Okay, so go to try better help. That's H-E-L-P dot com forward slash claim it. Use my link. It's also in the show notes and that will get you 10% off your first month. Just go try it, fill out the questionnaire and like see how it feels. They also have it for couples counseling and for teenagers as well. All right, go check it out and let's get back to the episode. And so when you're saying medicinal mushrooms, mm -hmm. is that like Similar, I'm guessing, but a different version of like, oh, let's take some shrooms because we want to like trip. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what I think of when I think of medicinal mushrooms. But I love that you said that because that's what, <laughs> that's what so many people say. So there's generally two <laughs> camps, um, you know, with, with what you think about with mushrooms. You think about, you know, the mushrooms that you see on a salad bar or, you know, the button mushrooms that you slice up and put into your stir fry. Maybe and then shiitake or portobello right, if you're getting fancy. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then there's the psychedelic mushrooms that you think right, about. Right, psychedelic. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Which, um, yes, I had some, some experiences with those in college, but there's a middle, I kind of, I shouldn't even call it middle because the medicinal mushrooms are not psychedelic. The ones that I'm, that I'm talking about, there's just another class of mushrooms, not the, the button mushrooms, not the psychedelic mushrooms, but medicinal mushrooms. And not all of them are directly edible. Like they're not all the kind that you can like throw into a stir fry. Some of them are, some of them you have to extract medicine through alcohol extraction or water extraction. 
and um, they can be taken in tinctures or as powders or mixed into a smoothie. Um, and then, yeah, again, some some of them you can you can cook and eat. But the ones that he's taking are in capsule form or tincture form. So they're not like make him high or anything no. like that. It's like the medicinal mushrooms that are like mm-hmm. yeah. So that's yeah. right. Like so, like chaga is that yeah. one or no? Yeah, like yeah. Lion, yeah. yeah, lions. And I'm like now thinking like right. So the ones that like. I think for Sigmatic is probably mostly yeah. mainstreamed mm-hmm. what you can somewhat think of what those are. Yeah. Is that right? And so he's, yeah. So he takes them. Yeah. And that like, yeah, would he take it? Is that like for people out there too, is like a start, like would be a four Sigmatic drink be like a start of that? Is he taking like that sort of stuff or like you're saying pills and tinctures and like all sorts of. Yeah. So I, I think four Sigmatic is an awesome place to start and they make it really, really accessible for people. Four Sigmatic does, um, drinks like powder, mushroom powders to mix into drinks. So you can mix it into hot water. You can mix it into a smoothie. You can mix it into coffee and the, they're awesome. Um, it depends on preference in a lot of ways. Like my dad prefers to take capsules in, in some senses, cause he's already taking other pills and stuff. And so he has his little routine where he's like, okay, I have my pills that I'm supposed to take. And I'm going to take these mushroom yeah. capsules along with it. Um, I take the mushrooms in tincture form just cause I, I like tincture. I like to taste the medicine that I'm taking. I like tinctures too. I'm like over pills. I like, yeah. yeah Which tinctures totally. for people that don't know too, that's like a drop, like, right. Like a yeah, liquid like a dropper, dropper thing. Like yeah. an alcohol. It's usually an alcohol solution with the mushrooms with like CBD. It's usually in an oil solution, but, um, with the mushrooms, it's technically, um, usually an alcohol. So, um, so he takes capsules, but you can take capsules, powder, tincture. It's really kind of a matter of preference in that. So my mom makes him a smoothie every day and puts mushroom powder and actually a bit of a turkey tail mushroom tincture in there. So he's taking, um, some shiitake mushrooms every day, some lion's mane mushrooms every day that have really helped him with his neuropathy. So lion's mane helped to repair nerves. And so he had really bad neuropathy in his fingers from the chemotherapy. And after taking lion's mane for two weeks, he said he was able to start to feel the difference between a dime and a quarter in his pocket, which before they just like felt, they all just felt like the same. And he was able to feel his buttons again. So that really helped with that. So he's taking the lion's mane for that. And then he takes um, turkey tail mushroom. And then he takes like a, a 10 blend powder. It's from four sigmatic actually with a bunch of the different mushrooms. So like reishi, chaga, there's maitake. Right. I'm forgetting all. I'm like, now I'm like, Oh, yeah. right. The medicinal mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mind went straight to psychedelic. <laughs> I know, which is fine, which is great. Those, Glad to clarify that for everyone. <laughs> their own wonderful healing properties as well. But the ones that he's been taking are, yeah, that the whole other spectrum of of medicine and he's been feeling really good. So we're just keeping it going. And so this whole journey is I'm guessing what inspired what is going to be your first book coming yeah. out, right? Yeah. The Rebels we just, like, Apothecary. Full, like fully into the archives of like uh, like 10 years ago and now we're here yeah That's, I, love, I, I love hearing people's whole journey <laughs> or as much of it as I can get <laughs> yeah I mean it's special because we've known each other through this whole time um yeah so that I so as soon as I started doing all this, those things with my dad I started blogging about it and posting on Instagram and I was getting so many messages from other caregivers people that had just, you know, some, one of their loved ones had just been diagnosed with cancer and what should we do? Where should we start? And I'm like, 
wow, I'm personally answering so many emails and even getting on phone calls with people, walking them through the dispensary, like telling them like what to ask the bud tender. Bud tender is like bartender (laughs) at a a cannabis dispensary. Um, So I was spending a lot of time like one-on-one, again, not giving medical recommendations, but just sharing what we had been doing. And one, uh, a friend of mine sent my blog to a book agent, I guess they were having lunch and the book agent mentioned something about medical marijuana or, you know, something about, um, being interested in learning more about the topic or representing an author that was writing about that. And so she sent her my blog and the agent read my blogs and she was like, this is awesome. Let's, um, have a call. And so that's how I was set up with my book agent. So, oh, so the idea did not come from you at first. Come from me. No, no, no. My friend, Michelle, she, called me. I, it's funny. I was, she called me, we don't ever talk on the phone. Um, and she called me like three times in a row and I was like, Oh my God, what happened? Like, is somebody hurt? Like, why did Michelle call me three times in a row? And she left me this voice text and it was like, Hey Jenny, I was just wondering if you'd like to be connected with a book agent who's really interested in the topics that you're writing about on your blog. And I was like, yes, (laughs) Um, (laughs) sure. And, um, yeah, so she, so it kind of came to me without me pursuing it. And then once I talked to the agent, we, you know, went through kind of what could this book look like? Who would it be for? You know, what would I be putting into it? And then she, she got me to get started on a book proposal. And, um, so I spent about three months putting a book proposal together. And yeah, that was kind of a moment getting the message about the book agent was a moment when things really, it was like a before and after moment for me. Yeah. A before and after moment. Yeah. What mm-hmm. does that mean? Like sort of like you're able to see into the future yeah. or like everything clicked into place of everything I knew was going to change from that moment on, mm. because I hadn't thought about writing a book about this and I hadn't, I didn't know what my next step was going to be with my career or I was very- right. I'm yeah. You're like so wrapped up in your dad's yeah. healing. And even though you're still having very, money yes, coming yeah. in, you're not like, what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so I was super focused on that and kind of just doing the minimum I could with my blog just to like keep things running while I was doing this. And so thinking like, oh, like this could turn into something that would actually be helping all of those people that I'm spending so much time writing these one-on-one messages to and getting on phone calls with, I can actually just hand them a book now. That's cool. So I was excited about the, the idea of being able to put everything that we had learned into one place that I could just direct people to. So. And the book is not, is it, or it's, I make up, it's not targeted just at like people going through cancer. It's learning about all of these though, things that we don't really know about, but it's like, okay, even like, yeah, I'm like, okay. So like, even I know somewhat about medicinal mushrooms, it still seems confusing. And totally like, so then it makes me not want to start because I don't understand I fully what I'm doing and what these things are. It's like, isn't it, I find it almost the things that are so natural seem more confusing to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're like mushrooms that you forage in the forest for. And um, I've had on um, Marisha of the Gaia school, which I sent you. I was like, oh, you probably would love to go to the Gaia school. Like I had her on and she wrote like the witch's apothecary, I think is her book. You know, it's about herbalism and same thing where I'm like, this is so confusing. I'm like, but it's weeds growing in your yard, basically. Right. I know. <laughs> I mean, I so much about like different plants and herbs throughout this journey, because not only did I start to study uh, cannabis and mushrooms, but I went to some herbalism retreats and I've learned from some really wonderful herbalists 
that in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and um, learned how to make herbal medicine and just like really, um, just really dove into the whole world of, of plant medicine and, and medicinal herbs. And it's fascinating. And there's so many different herbs for different things. And it's really, really, really cool. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And that's what I'm like, it seems funny to me that I'm being like overwhelmed and confused about these things that are so natural and like have probably yeah. like been around, like, have, you know, like have been healers and things for people to yeah. make medicine out of for like so long. Yes. And it's like, I don't know. Are you sure this thing growing in my yard can be good? Can do this? Like, <laughs> yes, it's that's why it's definitely important to have like an experienced guide and not just go pick the random things out of the yard. Yeah, there's but, some mushrooms growing under my our swing set right now. Uh, <laughs> maybe those will. <laughs> yeah, but I think I mean it's harder. It's hard, more challenging to figure out the world of um, plants and herbs because there's so much self experimentation involved. And with you know pharmaceuticals and and drugs, there's there's standards. You know everything is here's the dose that everybody takes. And um, with these plants, it's more nuanced and it's more personal. So you have to you have to pay a lot of attention to how your body's responding. So that, yeah. so your book is then going to be like a guide for right. anybody. Yeah. So, so the, so what happened with, with the book was that, um, I'm not a doctor and I, not that I can't write a cancer book, but it, it's not, yeah, it's not really, um, not really my place to just come out with a cancer book. So, um, what I, how I structured it was I, I go into all the things that we've been doing for my dad to help him manage his chemo side effects. But then I also talk about what I've learned from a wellness perspective of, you know, CBD and and cannabis and and all the different mushrooms. So I kind of go through each one and give a 101 about what it is and how to get started with it. And there's recipes and there's um, like a chapter for sleep and anxiety and pain. And there's a bunch of different everyday wellness concerns. And then the back part of the book is like, more advanced conditions and chemotherapy side effects and the things that we've been doing for that. So it definitely, I, I definitely geared it towards the everyday wellness enthusiast and then also caregivers who are interested in helping someone that they love with a more serious condition with um, approval from their doctor, <laughs> of course. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And I make up coming from you that there's tons of research in it. It's not yes. just like, this is what Jenny <laughs> thinks about this. No, no, there's a lot of research. My, my citation list was like 50 pages long when I submitted it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of studies and yeah, I, I interviewed doctors and mushroom scientists and cannabis experts and kind of dove in as far as I could to get the best information I could share. And so how are you feeling now? Your book is about to enter the world coming up. Such mm -hmm. a big process in that. And that it's not like, I think anybody's book coming out is such a big deal and for different reasons. Like whether mm -hmm. it's a memoir and you're sharing your story or, you know, you're giving somebody their, these tools and tips. But like, how are you feeling now is like you're stating I am an expert at medicinal <laughs> mushrooms and like uh, CBD, right? Cause that's what the sort of that, and how are you able to handle it? Have you, are you able to step in? I'm an expert at this. Do you struggle with that? Yeah, that's really funny. Cause when you say that I have a resistance to the word expert. I'm, I'm like, I've made up you would. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And, and even like on the back of my book, I think in my bio, it says like wellness expert. I'm like, well, I don't know that I would say I'm an expert. Like who's really an expert in wellness, but, um, I can say an expert anyway. (laughs) I consider myself, I'm much more comfortable with the title of messenger than expert Mm, because, um, not only am I sharing the research and um, very hard work of many, many people who have come before me who have been working in these fields for a long, long time. But I'm sharing, I believe that like these plants want to be shared. And so I feel like I'm taking this wisdom from the plants and from the people who have studied them for so long and the people who have been um, honestly advocates for, you know, cannabis legalization. There's so many people that have fought so hard for this. And then I'm kind of walking in now, like, so the, so the expert thing, yeah, I do have, I do have some resistance to that word, but I do love the idea of being a messenger for all of this information that's out there. And for the people have been working, who have been working so hard to share it and, um, putting it all in one place. I love, yeah. yeah, I love that term. Cause as soon as you said messenger, I felt like it's just like coming straight out of your heart. Mm-hmm. Whereas expert, see, these are terms that people can give us and that's like people will want to use. I'm sure right. you are going to yeah. get that because that helps us as a society label someone as, okay, I'm going to listen to her because she's an expert, even if that doesn't re- resonate with you. Yeah. But yeah. Expert can kind of sound like you're like talking down to everybody. Right. Whereas messenger is yeah. like, Hey guys, this is real. And I love it. Like not even from that hippie place, but like, I like, you know, like that's what too, I don't like to be like, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> or you no, I mean, there this. are many experts that I have had fact check my book and they are actual experts, like right. who have just like spent their life's work on these subjects. And those Got are the it. experts. And I will say I compiled all of those people who basically when I was doing my research, the people's names who are on the scientific studies, those are the people I got in touch with. And those are the, in my opinion, the experts that are out there doing the work. And, um, but I've compiled all of their information that they they've put together and, and my experience and my dad's experience and other people's experiences that I've interviewed along the way and met along the way. So it's a, the book is definitely a combination of, of anecdotal stories and scientific evidence and everything. Yeah. Compiled into one little, one little place. And are parts of you worried or nervous or struggling with the fact of like being called to talk about the book, whether like we're talking about you and your podcast here, but like uh, a bigger podcast or a TV show or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I know you were getting media training. Was that like to help you Mm -hmm. with your nerves or, you know, like to that, to like, now you're, you've been sharing about wellness for over a decade or for at least a decade now. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're afraid of putting yourself out there, but now like, Oh, me being more in the spotlight with that. Are you struggling at all with that as it's getting closer? I am struggling. I am struggling with that quite a bit actually, and have been. And, um, cause I have never saw myself as, again, I guess it comes back to the expert versus messenger thing. Um, I've never seen myself as like the person with all the answers. I've seen myself as a person who cares about finding answers and, and directing people towards more information that they can figure out for themselves and kind of presenting information that's out there and compiling it in an easy to understand way. Um, but in no way did I make any of it up myself or, you know, it's, um, it's stuff that was out there. So um, yeah, to answer your question about that, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable on camera. I'm working on it. 
because I don't, I don't want to say no to opportunities because I'm afraid of being on camera. Like if it's a no because of another reason or it just doesn't feel right, like that's one thing. But I don't want to say no to something that could potentially be helpful because I just don't like having the camera on me. It feels like that is limiting. Um, so I've been working through some of that stuff just because I know that it comes along with the territory. Um, but I don't know that... Um, I'm like, does every author who writes a book just like also want to be on stage speaking and on camera because I don't like, it's not something that I have. I'm like, don't writers want to be writers so they can just be by themselves under a blanket and <laughs> like not have to be on camera, but you know, everybody's different in that way. But no, that's true. And that, yeah, like there are some probably that are so like amped up about, and I'm guessing I don't know Gabby personally, but like, yeah, she is a multi-author and has always been speaking in that. So mm -hmm. she seems like mm -hmm. she's someone that probably is like, yeah, I am here to speak and talk to you. Whereas yeah. a lot of writers, even if they're coming from that same space of, of as Gabby is like giving tools and, mm -hmm. you know, these practices, they might be more like, yeah, I'm writing them so you can yeah. read them, but I don't need to get up on a stage and tell you that like here it's in the book. Totally, so it's again, it yeah. can even be in the same demographic or yeah. whatever that it's just the person themselves. Totally. And, and then some people thrive on stage and Gabby, yeah, Gabby thrives on stage is super comfortable up there. You know, motivational speaking is her joy. And, um, yeah, I feel for people that have that joy, I, that is awesome. <laughs> and I'm, I'm working on, um, being comfortable with some of the things that are outside my comfort zone, but I'm also not going to push myself to do things that really are not my joy, you know? Got it. So it's not too much of a struggle of like, am I enough or am I worthy? It's just like, you don't enjoy that. Right. I, it's just not. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I would like to be better at being on video and being on camera and that kind of thing, just for the sake of not being afraid of it. Yeah. But not that I have a goal of like doing a TED talk or anything like that. No way. But do you, like when you're saying, so you actually did say afraid of it then, like, do you, what is the actual fear? Um, fear that you won't be good enough or fear of like, what do people like? It's a fear of not being able to act natural. Like there's something about having a camera on me where okay. I start to like freeze up and I can feel that I'm not comfortable and that I'm not speaking organically like right Got now it. you and I on this it has felt very organic and comfortable but when I know that I'm like kind of in the spotlight or on a camera or on a stage or something there's something that tenses up inside me where I don't feel natural and I'd like to that that feeling Got to it. be and I just I don't like to feel like I'm like not speaking from a natural place so that's the part that I really like to work on is just being comfortable with a camera around me and still being able to express myself yeah, I get that. I mean, I think even I am comfortable, but can still like if you see a camera like in a room or something like that, that is like, then it makes a bit of like, right. Yeah. Like a freeze. Like it's like even for, yeah, it's like in it. I think, uh -huh. yeah, just keep exposing yeah. yourself to yourself is probably like is the way to like work through it because it can be like, mm -hmm. wait, what are you shooting? What, 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 what? Like it all of a sudden can like trigger different things in your mind and like to get totally. back into that moment and like the purpose of why you're there and like, okay. Yeah, I am a messenger here. I want, you know, I'm a messenger for these plants. I'm a messenger for this. So like probably connecting back with, right, your purpose right. and why yeah, you're doing this. Yeah, and just this. knowing it's not about you. It's about being able to like really drop in and connect to the message. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those things are 
Um, yeah, it's definitely out of my comfort zone. And, you know, for some people writing is really out of their comfort zone and they're, they're like, I'd much rather do a YouTube video than write a blog post. And I'm like, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And I go back and forth. Like, yeah, I started a YouTube series. I was like, for me, it's easy to just say things, but I also don't have an attachment to perfectionism in that way. Whereas like, I'll, I've been putting out these weekly videos and I pretty much, it's just one take. I sometimes Amazing. will shoot it twice, but I'll just be like, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about today. Before I turn the camera on, I'll be like, sort of try to talk it out to myself. But usually I just end up going because I know what I'm saying. And yeah, sometimes I stumble my words. I'll hit end and I'll be like, ah, oh, I didn't say this part of it. But I mostly am just like, put it out there. Mm -hmm. um, but I used to write very well like that. I don't take the time. And now that I'm into like writing for the proposal in the book, um, mm. it's I realize how much more, especially because it's not just a blog post the intentionality, it makes me be so much more clearer with my words that like, for me, it is a bit easier to just turn on the microphone, do a, so a solo podcast episode, turn on the camera, let it flow out of me and then be done. And so as the writing, it makes me be so much more intentional, which is a good thing, but it, yeah. Mm, yeah. But yeah. So it's like, even though I love writing that it's like, yeah, especially with this now for proposal or book that feels like this has to really make an impact, not just yeah. free flowing it out. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is so true. Writing a book and writing a book proposal are very different than like a free flowing blog. That's yeah. for sure. So that part is, that part can be a learning process too. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to get to, I'm going to pull up my, a picture of my keychain phrases. I feel like I, did I send you a keychain? Yes. You okay. sent me, um, um, which one do I have? Everything is going my way. Oh, right. Because you said that you love the phrase in the mug. So you could still choose that one, but I ask people to choose, look at all the phrases and see not even which phrase they like the most, but which one they need as a reminder in the, their life right now the most. This is, um, this is, great because what I've been feeling so much over these past couple of weeks as like expectations and plans are really falling away. Um, fuck the shoulds do the wants. Yay. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm, that's what I'm connecting to the most. Cause right now it's like, I think it's a time for all of us. And you and I were talking a little bit about this before we got on this recording is it's a time to really reassess, like, how do we want to live our lives? What's really important to us? Why are we making these decisions? Um, what do we want life to look like? If we could now recreate something from this situation where a lot of things have fallen away, what is that? And I think, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. Like, what am I doing because other people say I should? And what am I doing because I really want to be spending my days like this? You know, how do we really want yeah. to be spending our time? Yeah. You know, I'm all for that one. <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. Which, by the yeah. way, guys out there, Jenny has been very supportive in me writing my book proposal. She has a blog, which I will link to on like her process in writing the book proposal. And that helped me very much write my outline and stuff. So, um, yeah. So Jenny's, Jenny's been helping me get my book yeah, proposal. Yeah, I'm so excited for your me. book. Your book is going to be <laughs> so good and so necessary. Thank you. Um, okay. What is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? Oh, like when you're feeling funky, maybe it's before like, oh, you're supposed to be getting on a call. So you like mm -hmm. want to boost or just. Yeah. Um, if I have time taking a walk is my number one. I mean, going for a run is like a real number one for me, 
but um, going for a walk is just getting outside and going for a walk is like a total mood shifter for me. It's probably my number one. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. That's one of mine too. Um, Okay. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me is to blank. What is best for me is to. Mm. Oh, just to overall life. Yeah. It could apply to like a daily habit you do, like a place you find yourself procrastinating, (laughs) you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it could what be is, a big should. We're like, okay. oh, this is a should, but I actually want this. Like, what is, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I'll apply it to what's going on right now. What is easiest for me is to lay here and scroll through the news and read Twitter and um, get a bunch of different people's ideas into my head about what's going on in the world. And what is best for me is to create. So instead of just consuming, 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 and scrolling. Um, to sit and get quiet and meditate and focus on creating something, even if that's just, you know, an email or, you know, a short blog or, or a meal. Um, I think, I think creating more, more creating less consuming. Yep. That's a good one. Um, all right. The name of the podcast is claim it because I believe our feelings of anything (laughs) are really like can't be put out there somewhere like I'll feel enough I'll feel worthy I'll feel successful I'll feel fulfilled I'll feel like I'm lovable when I have this when I do this when I have the partner when I have the book deal when I do this because then you'll just constantly be chasing it but it's something that all of those things it's up to us to claim for ourselves Mm. every day sometimes every fucking moment (laughs) because doubts and fears and shoulds and everything come up. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Mm, You know what? The first word that comes to my mind is fulfillment. Mm. Just being fulfilled in this moment, regardless of what comes next. Um, I think, especially with launching a book, you can get really attached to what's going to happen and what that's going to look like. Um, With the current situation in the world, all of those expectations have had to be, had to be dropped. So I'm just, um, I'd like to claim just being fulfilled with what I've already done and with the present moment and all the things that there still are to appreciate in the world right now and in my daily process. And I think, I think there is an illusion that will be more fulfilled when X happens. And, um, yeah, so I'd like to claim fulfillment. Love it. That's a good one for all of us to claim right now. Mm -hmm. No matter what's happening right now in your life and how you're feeling and wishing things were different and back to normal, Mm -hmm. whatever that is, like choose what's happening right now is what's happening right now. So find your fulfillment in that each day. And even if that's allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to feel all the emotions, but coming back to how can I feel fulfilled in this now moment? Yeah. And, and like, how can we feel fulfilled while slowing down and maybe not producing in the way that we thought we were going to be able to, or not meeting the expectations that we previously had, like, how can we be fulfilled with more silence and more slowness and yeah, really settling into that. Yeah. And I think that's like that questioning of like, well, what is that 
if I'm not fulfilled now, what am I making up will give me that fulfillment? Because I'm back at mm -hmm. my work. I've got this happening. I have this money yeah. coming in. I have like whatever, like looking at what actually, because I, I noticed that too. It's like so often we're pinning, oh, once I do this, then I'll feel that. But we don't even maybe even assess what that looks like. Right. Like, I'll be fulfilled once I've got, you know, the book has come out and I've got to right. deal for a next book and yeah. whatever. But like, so what would that feel like? What uh -huh. would not even like, what does that look like? What would that feeling feel like? Great. Right. <laughs> yeah. And is it a sustainable feeling? A lot of these goals that we have are actually these like really transient feelings where it's like you get this high from like a feeling of, you know, success in some way. And then it's like, and then you're okay. immediately, what's next? Like right. You can feel it for like, yeah, like a brief amount of time. And then you're already into the what's next. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it's not bad to work for things to want more, obviously, but to not be putting it out there some way, that feeling that you're searching that I want this. How can I feel that right now? Yeah. And, and spending your daily life, like what, how are you spending your days and the journey to creating something that's going to result in fulfillment should also feel fulfilling. You know, it's hard work. Writing a book is hard, 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 hard work, but, um, finding ways to feel fulfilled with the little milestones along the way and not just the the expectation of the end product. Yep. All right. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you. Oh, You're amazing. We'll be sharing all of your yeah links to the book and um, all your stuff. And yeah, that blog post that helped me. Thanks, Trisha. All right. I so loved catching up with Joni and I'm so excited about her and her book. Go order it or pre-order it now. The Rebels Apothecary. I will have a link in the show notes. You can also go to healthycrush.com slash book. And that's her whole website is healthycrush.com. She's been writing there for over 10 years. So there are so many amazing blogs, wellness tips, what have you. You can follow Jenny at Jenny Sansusi. Again, that's um in the show notes if you can't figure out how to spell that. <laughs> For full show notes and links, go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there. And for all things me, yourjoyologist.com, and I'm at yourjoyologist on social media. And I personally love hearing from you. Please share the episode, DM me, let me know what you think, ask me about any of the things that I suggest during the ad spots, all the good stuff. I seriously love hearing from you. And I really love reading your reviews when you rate the podcast. And that also helps the podcast get seen so that it can be heard by more people around the world. And I'm so grateful when you do that. So go subscribe to the podcast, rate it and leave a review before you press enter or send. Take a screenshot, email me the screenshot at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift for my product line. Just like I have every guest pick a keychain, I have mugs, journals, wine glasses, notepads, magnets, all sorts of products with empowering phrases. So go check out the whole shop, shop.yourjoyologist.com. Send me a review and I'll send you a little gift. And um, yeah, I love to hear from you. Like I said, so please share the episode and DM me about anything. And let's leave with the final thought today of... 
thinking about right now in your life, what is easiest for you is not always what's best for you. What is maybe a habit or some way that you've been acting lately that you know is maybe not the best for you? And by naming it, you'll likely start to shift it. So what is easiest is for me to blank. What is best for me is to blank. Okay, I'll answer. What is easiest for me is to tell myself, I'm going to get to the editing, the writing of the the book later when I have more focus and more time, <laughs> right? We always think like, oh, I'll be, I'll be able to do this better at this time because I'll be more focused or I'll have more time. And then when that time comes, then you have other things to do. So what's easiest is for me to push the thing off because it feels like so big. What's best is to just jump right in and get any work done. One of my main mantras is any minutes is more than no minutes. And that works for everything. So even with me, like working on my book, it's like, all right, 20 minutes, go. Otherwise, I'll be like, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I'm a little distracted. Oh, I'll do it later, 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 never comes. <laughs> so, so that was me. You know, I had to call myself into asking that question as well. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Name it and see where you're maybe going to show up and shift it. And tell me, DM me, share it. All right. Um, keep on listening to more awesome episodes or I'll catch you here next week.